What is up, everybody? Welcome to the 4 for Formula 1 podcast with today's Spanish Grand Prix preview. As always, I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com with my co-host, Dan Weiner, the senior producer at BetsBirds. Dan, what's up, buddy? Not a whole lot, man. Just excited to uh, to, to have some racing this week in a, in a back-to-back race week yeah, situation, buddy. finally. Uh, nice to not have that gap going on, but uh, yeah, man, fired up to see what's going to unfold tomorrow with a lot of kind of things up in the air this week. Yeah, and uh, to help us figure out what is going to unfold tomorrow, if you are watching on YouTube, you see a new face on here. We have a very special guest, Bryson Sullivan. You might know him from Twitter, at Natural Paradigm. Uh, He is the greatest Twitter follower if you are new to F1. I highly recommend it. And he's US-based, so he's on our uh, time schedule, which is very nice compared to a lot of the UK follows on there. Um, For those that don't know Bryson, he is an aerospace engineering graduate student. Uh, If you go on his Twitter, you will notice that he has multiple cited articles on topics such as hypersonics, fluid structure interactions, things that are way over our head as laymen. But luckily, he's also an F1 enthusiast. Uh, Bryson, welcome to the show, buddy. Yeah, man. Uh, excited to talk about this week. Excited to talk about um, a lot of car upgrades. But before we get into it, um, tell us and the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into aerospace engineering, how that translated to a love for uh, F1 and motorsports in general. <laughs> yeah, I think my story is probably similar to many people in that I saw what my father did as a as a living, wanted to do the complete opposite thing, and then <laughs> okay, later, okay. Realized, realized later on in life that I was actually good at the first thing. To be what's, what's opposite of aerospace engineering? No, it was not totally opposite. I mean, okay. I, you know, I had still engineering, but, you know, my gotcha. degree is in, in mechanical engineering and definitely did a little bit of formula SAE when I was an undergrad, but... Uh, didn't really realize how much I loved aerodynamics specifically mm-hmm. and aerospace engineering more generally until much later. Um, so I went back to grad school. That's all I've been working on is, is aerospace. Um, regarding F1, it's so funny. You know, my interest in F1 is totally accidental. As many people in the United States know, especially you know, 15 years ago, Formula One wasn't really promoted in the same way. It wasn't as popular then as, as it is now. And I went on a, on a random Sunday. I had some very insistent friends that were like, come out, let's just go to a, to a race on Sunday. And I really didn't want to go because that seems boring. I don't want to <laughs> yeah. go to a, watch cars go in circles. But, you know, seeing the cars in person uh, really helped emphasize for me how extreme these cars are. There's literally no thing in the world that humans build that goes around a Grand Prix circuit faster than an F1 car. Yeah, it's And beautiful. I've kind of been hooked on it ever since. And if I can use some of my engineering background to help explain some things I, I definitely can but what i will say right at the beginning is motorsport and f1 specifically is so specialized it's so unique that even having multiple engineering degrees doesn't mean you know everything about it it takes time on a daily basis learning new concepts and talking to people who've been in the sport for a long time so this has all just been a, a journey of knowledge for me and it's been a lot of fun yeah before um i I tossed over to dan he has a few questions for you uh we don't want to bury the real lead here i mean you're doing you're doing this podcast for us today but last race uh they had you on sky sports which is awesome to see how how did that come about because you've been crushing on twitter and with f1 twitter but i mean sky sports reaching out to you is really cool Uh, how did that work out I mean, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. I mean, there's any number of people that they could have chosen. I think one of the main things that they were interested in is, of course, the technical side of the sport that I really try to get into the most, but also being an American and being someone who actually had a chance to go to the race, 
I could offer unique insights that someone else may not have been able to in terms of how the cars actually were around the Miami International Autodrome, you know, strategies, what was the food like, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so no, it was a great opportunity. Um, I always try to attack any opportunity I can to talk F1. That just happened to be one of the bigger ones. And I was happy to uh, join them. Were you down in Miami? I was in Miami. Yeah, I was in nice. Miami for the race. How, how was it? It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't actually been to a race since 2016. Uh, so that was about six years ago. And of course, I'd never forgotten how fast F1 cars are, but it's all these intangible things that you can get when you actually get to a racetrack that you don't really get when you're not paying attention on TV. You know, when, when a car locks up in a corner, you can smell the rubber. Yeah, when, yeah. when a car goes past you, you can feel the air moving. There's all, there's all these things going on that you really get a chance to appreciate in person that I highly recommend everyone does uh, at least once. Yeah, man, I've been I've been trying for the, for the next couple uh, for for the last couple of races for the last couple of years to to hop uh, on some tickets, but man, those things are it is oh, if you're yeah. it is crazy trying to get tickets right now. It's nuts in in the states. Yeah, you gotta you gotta try to go down to Austin. I'm guessing at this point, like it's still crazy expensive compared to like the other sporting events, but compared to Miami, and I can only imagine how much tickets for the Vegas race are gonna be. <sighs> Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that there are some lessons learned about how the Miami GP was run and executed that may spill over into Vegas next year. I don't know exactly how that will go, but hopefully it won't uh, be so crazy with the prices. Who, who knows? As, a, as an Atlanta Braves fan who the they are owned by the same people who own uh, Formula One, Liberty Media, I'm guessing they're going to do whatever they think is going to make them the most amount of money <laughs> because that's the only thing that they've ever uh operated on now shifting gears to on the track obviously a lot has been made this year about the new regulations and the new cars so bryson from your perspective what are your general thoughts on the changes to the cars this year and how has it impacted f1 from a team and viewer perspective yeah there's a couple of parts to this so first of all i think the cars look great actually i i didn't i didn't hate the way the cars looked before but i really like the angles and the the rounded edges of these cars in a way that i didn't think i would appreciate based on the show card that we saw previously um i also think that in terms of the the intent of the regulations it's actually working quite well and really what i mean by that is a specific shaping of the aerodynamic wake coming off of the car and modifying its trajectory so that it doesn't affect the car behind quite as much as the old cars were. I think that's actually working quite well. And it's one of the reasons why this particular race is going to be more interesting this year than in previous years, because these new regulations are going to help significantly in some of the high speed corners. But probably the most important thing that's happened this year with the new regulations is nothing whatsoever to do with overtaking, which was the point of the change of the regulations. It's to do with the running order of the teams. Right. Anytime you have a regulation change, you're starting from scratch. Oftentimes, nothing that you build from the previous year carries over to the current year. You're starting from scratch. And even in teams that may be incredibly well qualified and incredibly experienced with multiple championships, their fortunes can turn around in, in the blink of an eye, as we've seen in, in many years past and even currently. Yeah. And I mean, on that point, um, it, it's another thing that has contributed to that, at least I, I think, I, I don't know how, how much they are going to uh, be able to enforce this, but the, uh, the spinning cap is also supposed to be one of those things. So, uh, hope, I mean, one of their hopes was, you know, not just the overtaking with the new cars, but the spinning cap, uh, getting everybody on, uh, the same level. But to that point, um, we've, we're already seeing, some controversy with uh with those new changes and we'll jump right into it going into the spanish grand prix we were expecting a lot of changes and one of the changes that got unveiled that everybody's talking about is austin martin new side pods 
new floor, change the rear wing. There's a couple other changes um, that, that I think I'm forgetting, but uh, any notes on those changes and the obvious question, are they green Red Bull? It's oh, a beautiful thing, this sport. I love it. Um, so there, there's nothing moral or principled about looking at someone else's design, seeing that it's great and saying, no, I'm not going to copy that because, you know, there's I, I'm I'm too scrupulous to <laughs> go down that path. The reality is anything that you can do to improve your own car, make it faster, you tend to do. And the rules against copying things about your car uh, to modify it to make, represent what it's in someone else's car, the only real rule is that you can't share like data. You can't share like computer files with the exact information and the geometry of, of, of the car. And you can't use complex uh, photogrammetry uh, software to precisely reproduce surfaces in three dimensions based on pictures. But you can look at pictures in a general sense and, and try to sort of loft surfaces that represent what you saw in someone else's car. Um, that's something that is common in Formula One. And I don't have any problem with it because oftentimes one team will copy someone else's idea. And in order to actually make it work for their own car, they have to modify it or tweak it a little bit to work with their existing package. And many times that actually improves the design fundamentally. And then the original team sees that new design and says, oh, I didn't think of that. And then they kind of feed back off of each other and everyone gets faster as a result. So I don't have a problem with that. As far as Aston Martin goes, they're in a bit of a difficult situation <laughs> uh, because their their side pods look exactly like Red Bull's side pods to, to a, on, on the side of it and, and the floor. But they claim that that design was in the wind tunnel last November. <laughs> Red Bull side pods were not revealed to the public until you know March or whatever it was for preseason testing. So there's something afoot there. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I know that it's interesting. That, that's all I'll say. It, it's legal for now, certainly. Yeah, they the 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 FIA um, said everything they're doing is okay. Uh, for those that don't know, Austin Martin did poach a bunch of Red Bull team members, gave them a ton of money. So I I, I guess you could say there's a chance that um, they had this idea already um, bef before they left Red Bull. Uh, the it's it's just one of the funniest rules in the sport because you can't unknow what you know right once you see something and you know that's working how do you not say I, I i'm going to try that thing but uh aside from what we think is right or wrong we saw austin martin have not the best qualifying today but what are they trying to accomplish with their changes in terms of performance compared to what we've seen because they've been in the back of the pack early in the season that we saw them, you know, they, they, they had a, a pretty good qualifying in Miami. They fall back a little bit this week. So, so what are they hoping to get out of these changes? Obviously performance, but specifically, what are they trying to change? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things about the performance of an F1 car is getting as much clean air as possible to the back of the car, to the top of the diffuser. And the question is, okay, well, where does that air come from? Does it come from the gap in between the, the front tires and the nose and sort of slide down the sides of the car? Or does it come from somewhere up higher and then sort of downwashes, you know, is directed by the side pods to the, the top of the diffuser? Uh, Aston Martin previously had what I would call like a full body undercut, which is to say they had a side pod, but it was sort of like hanging in the air <laughs> off of the floor, making a nice clean channel for air to flow from front to back. Whereas Red Bull has a more traditional side pod that actually fills out the side space in the in the design volume, but the top of it is down sloping towards the diffuser. And it basically means that the path of air to the diffuser is different for one car versus the other. There certainly are drag implications in there as well, but certainly it has primarily an aerodynamic uh, impl implication on downforce and cooling is, a, is another part of it. But the thing I want to mention briefly about Aston Martin is 
there's a big difference between what you see in CFD, what you see in the wind tunnel, and what you see in the track. And it's always a good idea to do back-to-back -back tests with old parts and new parts to see if there actually are, are an improvement. Aston Martin chose to upgrade both of their cars, the new specification, seemingly without testing it back-to-back -back with the old specification on the same track. And the reason why you do that is because you don't want to have a bad or not working part on both cars and not know it. And to be honest, I think that actually might have been what happened uh, in qualifying today for Aston Martin. That makes sense. Yeah, they, they um, yeah, and we've seen we see the top teams do it all the time, right? Well, we've seen it with with Ferrari and and Mercedes a couple times this year, where they're giving one car a change, and and that makes um, a lot of sense. Speaking of Mercedes, yeah, I mean, if the big if the big story this year has been the resurgence of Ferrari, I think the one B big story has been what in the heck has happened to Mercedes? It has been a struggle this year for them and Lewis Hamilton in particular. Uh, they were hoping to see some changes this week. I know the new floor, front wing changes coming in. A much, much, much better week from beginning to at least this point for Mercedes. But and 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 Total Wolf even said after qualifying today they believe they have fixed their porpoising issues. But they're still if they fix their porpoising issues, they're still a bit slower than than the top two teams. So what do you make of the changes that Mercedes has made? And if they have fixed the porpoising problems are they still a bit behind the eight ball the rest of the season because they've had to spend so much time trying to fix that yeah i mean there there's no question that mercedes started the season on the back foot which is kind of ironic because they committed to the new car you know halfway through last season whereas red bull was developing their car continuously throughout if there's one thing i can impress upon people is the extraordinary difficulty of building a formula one car <laughs> especially a successful one under new regulations the fact that you've won you know seven championships on on the trot or eight championships on the trot doesn't actually guarantee that you're going to get the new regulations right mercedes seem to have found a very interesting and very fruitful design in terms of what the cfd is telling them and what the uh, wind tunnel is telling them but they just can't realize it on the track because of this porpoising issue the changes that they made to the floor this weekend were very successful, not only in terms of, you know, physically watching the onboard laps, but the driver feedback, you know, where's their head bouncing. That was a major performance limiting factor in their new, you know, zero side pod design. And I think what's interesting is the bouncing is definitely gone, but it's not clear to me that they have used that information to optimize the package that they have. Almost every single race they've been struggling so much. The question has just been, are we going to have porpoising? <laughs> How bad is it going to be? And what compromises do we have to make in order to run the car in an appropriate window? This weekend is the first weekend where they can say, okay, yeah, actually, we think we've got this porpoising thing under control. Now, how can we optimize the package that we have? They haven't quite finished that second step yet, but we're going to find out in the next couple of races what the real performance ceiling of the W13 really is. Yeah, I mean, do you, I, I'll I'll just throw out the the obvious question that everyone wants to know, and, and you could give a simple yes no. Like, are are they going to be able to compete with Red Bull and and Ferrari for a championship? I don't think that's really a realistic thing in terms of what's probable. It's certainly possible in a theoretical sense because we've seen how questionable Red Bull's reliability has been. They've had power unit issues even today in qualifying that prevented Max from going for a second lap in in, in uh, Barcelona. So if you have retirements every fifth race maybe someone else can actually you know gain points on you one of the mercedes uh shining lights this year has been they're incredibly reliable they've used fewer power unit parts than any other team so broadly speaking you, you should not expect mercedes to win uh, a championship this year but it could happen what i would say is that one or two or maybe even more race wins are definitely on the cards 
especially now that they think they've gotten a handle on this porpoising issue. There will be a few tracks where I think Mercedes would do really well, especially Lewis Hamilton, and Montreal is one that I have my eye on for a surprise Lewis Hamilton victory. Okay, well, we'll definitely take note of that because, I mean, the, the main thing we do here is betting in daily fantasy sports. So we'll, we'll write a little note, uh, guys. Remember, when we get to Montreal, keep that, keep that in your back park, pocket. Um, a, a, a team that has been all over the map this year has been McLaren. We just saw them get off to an awful start in Bahrain, and then a couple races later, um, they get a podium from Lando. They were one of the teams that made uh, a, a lot of changes to their car this week. Uh, from what I saw front and rear wing, uh, the floor, and also the side pot inlet. Unfortunately for them, Lando had problems in FB2. Uh, he ends up getting his qualifying lap deleted in Q2 today, but we do see Daniel Ricardo get a P9, so that should be encouraging from a um, team perspective. Do did, did they do enough to at least give them uh, so, some consistent hope to be battling for the top of that midfield spot? And, and how are these changes going to impact uh, what their aspirations are this year? I, I think I think Alfa Romeo is still probably the, the top of the true midfield teams, but I would say McLaren's right next to them. Um, McLaren brought so many upgrades. I have a, a list here from the, the show and tell sessions that they had previously. I won't go through all of it, but they're they're quite quite numerous. But more importantly, what they did in free practice one was they had a brand new floor and an old specification floor. They ran a new floor on, on Lando's car and the old floor on, on Ricardo's car. Tested them, made, made sure the upgrades worked, and then actually applied them. That's something that Aston Martin didn't didn't seem to do. But no, McLaren is definitely in a good position. They had a great preseason test in in, in Barcelona. Um, there aren't that many uh, slow corners in Barcelona, not many very high-energy uh, high braking uh, events around the lap. And McLaren, generally speaking, seems to, to do well. So I think that if Norris was in a position to actually finish his lap, and again, he was disqualified by you know mere millimeters probably, I think they're definitely in a good position. But I, I think that uh, Alfa Romeo, and in particular in the hands of uh, Valtteri Bottas, is really their real competition right now. Yeah, did, did, uh, before we move on to the other teams, I, I mean, do you think they got a, a, enough data, um, even though they, they had those rough uh, a rough weekend so far from Lando, uh, that they're they're confident enough in, in what they tried to do? Like you said, they, they did end up switching both floors, and we saw it fr from Danny Rick. So is, um, is Lando kind of a sleeper this week? I think, I think it could be, yeah. Definitely in a, in a position to pick up points if someone else drops the ball. And I do think that there's a lot of information gathered by the team in terms of what's working, what's not working. I think the thing people need to kind of get their head around is, yes, there were a huge number of updates to almost all the cars this weekend, except for Haas, if I remember correctly. But this is Formula One. We, teams add parts to their cars essentially every week. It, it's, it's less now because of the cost cap. They can't bring parts every single race necessarily. But the parts that they do bring are, generally speaking, effective. So whether or not a car is good or bad isn't just a function of how well the driver did or if that circuit you know, fits that particular car. It's actually about, well, have you developed the car? Is it actually an inherently faster car now than it was three weeks ago? Oftentimes it is. Yeah, if we listen to the radio, it's never the driver's fault, right? <laughs> no, no. So, look, sometimes it's definitely the driver's fault, and they'll, they'll admit it as much when they miss yeah, a breaking sure. point. But, you know. <laughs> So obviously Ferrari is the top of the table right now. They have been the best team all season long and they brought a new floor here. They get P1 in qualifying again. Charles Leclerc is having a great year. What do you make of the changes that they made this week? They were hoping to be able to gain a little bit of speed on the Red Bull car overall. Uh, do you think that they're going to be able to 
keep in terms of just pure pace, be able to keep pace with Red Bull. Uh, where do you see Ferrari going as you now see Max Verstappen gaining on Charles Leclerc in the Drivers' Championship and things tightening up between the top two teams? I, I think this track is actually a Ferrari track. Um, so broadly speaking, the characteristics of the Red Bull and the Ferrari historically this season have been Ferrari has uh, phenomenal grip and downforce in terms of braking events and, and, and high-speed corners. Red Bull has phenomenal top speed. Red Bull's had the highest top speed of the field for pretty much every single race. And so a, a track that doesn't have a tremendous number of straights and a lot of high-speed corners requires a lot of downforce. I would actually expect Ferrari to do, in, in general, better than, than Red Bull. Now, the specific updates that they brought, you mentioned the floor is updated. The, the rear corner has been changed. They also had two different versions of their rear wing that they were experimenting with, with, with various downforce levels and then uh, lateral distribution of airfoils to sort of improve or de or, or remove the aerodynamic efficiency in favor of uh, raw downforce. They've been making upgrades um, and they brought the ones that are effective. So I think Ferrari is actually in a very good position. They do have some concerns about tire degradation, which is to say, you know, how much time, how much slower is your lap every lap because you're wearing through the tires. That has tended to be an issue for Red Bull, uh, or excuse me, for, for Ferrari. Uh, Red Bull seems to have been a little bit better with that. So that'll be a factor this weekend for sure. And if they can get a handle on it, they certainly have a shot at victory. But we're looking at the long run pace for the different cars. And Verstappen looks to be uh, the class of the field right now. I don't think Mercedes or Ferrari could beat uh, Verstappen's race pace if he was able to replicate that. But I do think Mercedes has a legitimate chance of uh, taking on uh, Ferrari in terms of uh, the race pace. Now, again, single lap pace is a separate question that I, I mentioned. Ferrari is probably the best, and they showed that in qualifying. But race pace is a different thing. So we'll have to see how the race unfolds. Yeah, George Russell even mentioned that after qualifying today. He feels like they're going to be able to contend with Ferrari. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, because the, a lot of the stuff is over my head, I believe. Ferrari made some changes to their setup today because of the tire degradation, but then they were not able to get any laps on the medium tires. So how they're going to, they were fine on the softs today, but, uh, but the, the mediums, there's still a little bit of uncertainty with Ferrari this weekend on how they're, how the tire degradation is going to hold up on medium tires. Yeah. It's, it's just the nature of this track surface is very old. It's very rough. It, it, it churns through tires. The softest compound that, that uh, Pirelli brought this weekend is, is a great qualifying tire but it will be shredded to bits <laughs> in the race with a uh, full race fuel. So they have to run the medium tire and the hard tire. And those have totally different characteristics. They require different wing angles actually for the, for the cars. Um, so yeah, it definitely is up in the air. We don't know who's going to win just yet, but you know, I, I know. there may be a surprise or two uh, before it's all over. Uh, before we get into to the, the qualifying results and what we're taking away from that, I mean, I, I think those were the, the biggest or the most notable changes. Did, did any other teams uh, have any changes that you think are worth noting? Uh, I think Haas and Alfa Romeo had uh, great days. Uh, you know, Haas had car, you know, Haas went from having one of their cars on fire in the pit lane to getting into Q3 for the first time by the very same, you know, disqualification that uh, took away Lando Norris's lap. So Haas could never even dream of that kind of a performance years ago. And so I'm very happy for them. American team really have a have a, a new lease on life uh in this just particular year and i wish them all the best and again you know alfa romeo has been sort of quietly uh but consistently putting themselves in a position 
to deserve more respect than I think they've gotten. They also have an interesting side pod design that's not too dissimilar from the original Aston Martin design, but but theirs seems to work very well. They had some porpoising issues in preseason testing. Once they solved them, they were right on the pace. So I would say look out for Valtteri. Uh, Valtteri could have finished fifth in Miami, uh, but apparently he was distracted by a battle behind him uh, with the Mercedes, and he lost two places, allegedly. Well, I mean, he's always distracted. I mean, Valtteri is kind of exists in his own world no no we can't we can't have Valtteri slander because i actually got i actually got a chance to uh to meet him in miami for two seconds and i shook his hand so i i can't condone any slander on something but you know i'm just realistic about what to expect from him yeah i think it was funny i think his quote was i got distracted by my mirrors and i was like that was was (laughs) full disclosure if i'm being honest i think he's covering i think he's saving face about that if you look at the timing delta between the George and Lewis fight, they were catching him by like half a second a lap all the entire time. He was under pressure. He was pushing, say, in front of them. I'm sure he was distracted, but he was pushed to the limit of grip by the race behind him. So just keep that in mind as well. Sure. Be- before we move on to the other te- teams, um, Dan has a couple of questions. You mentioned Haas being a big winner. Uh, I, that was easily their, their best qualified of the year with both uh, drivers getting in, into Q3. Is this uh, a function that you mentioned? Uh, the way this track is going to hold up, it's going to be very very rough on the cars, on these soft tires. Do you, Does this look like a pace that they could maintain tomorrow, or is this just a, a very good qualifying and, and they're going to have a tough time, especially Mick, who, who's really struggled this year, um, ho- holding those places tomorrow? I, I think they can. I, I think that their ability to reproduce pace in a race is actually quite good in Barcelona because it's a test. It's a track that everyone goes to all the time, every year, multiple times. You don't have to worry about drivers getting up to speed with, with the track configuration. They have tremendous amounts of data. There are so many fewer variables racing in Barcelona than there would have been at, say, you know, Miami. Track evolution is going to have a completely different characteristic than it did at Miami. So I think they actually will be in a position uh, to, to fight. And, and again, you know, pressure is a privilege, right? You only have the opportunity of losing points when you have an opportunity of gaining points, right? So, you know, the drivers will have to avoid sort of silly-ish mistakes like the kind we saw from Mick Schumacher and, and Seb in Miami. But if they can, yeah, I think they'll definitely be in the points this weekend for sure. So if we, we take a look now, we'll bring up the results from qualifying this morning. Charles Leclerc on the pole, Max Verstappen next to him, and then Carlos signed George Russell on the second row with Sergio Perez, Lewis Hamilton next, uh, Valtteri Bottas, K-Mag, as we mentioned, uh, and then Daniel Ricciardo, Mick Schumacher, 10th. We talked about, uh, we covered a a lot of this. Haas, I think, has to be thrilled with what happened out there today. Aston Martin has to be very unhappy with what happened today. But just in terms of what we saw from the car upgrades and and how it uh, uh, translated into qualifying, what were your biggest takeaways from what uh, the biggest takeaway is that the pra- the pace that Mercedes showed in free practice yesterday is not a false dawn, as it was in Miami. It's real, genuine pace, and Mercedes is taking a step in the right direction. They're they're not quite the fastest car yet, but they were fast enough to beat one Red Bull in qualifying, right? Because Russell uh, out qualified uh, Sergio Perez. Uh, that's the first time that's happened, happened <laughs> this year, if I recall correctly. So they, they've made a real step, and the fixing the porpoising has helped them a lot. They're not quite where they need to be just yet. As you mentioned, you know, Aston Martin's had a difficult day. I've offered a hypothesis as to procedurally why that may have been the case in terms of fully committing both cars to the upgraded specification right away without the opportunity to do proper back-to-backs. And again, there may be more information that comes after the fact where someone from Aston Martin tells me, hey, 
we did do a little back to back, but you couldn't quite see it. That I fully accept that possibility. But broadly speaking, they didn't have a great day. Um, they'll be studying tons, reams of data tonight to figure out what they can do. They're limited in what they can change between qualifying and the race, and they're in uh, what you call park forming. So they can't change too many things, but if they can change something to improve their pace, I think they will. Um, and otherwise, yeah, McLaren seemed to be okay. They were in the mix, but the biggest winners this week, this, uh, this qualifying is probably Haas. You know, two cars in the top 10, that's uh, nothing to sniff at. Yeah, and, and they have to be <clears throat> excited because, as you mentioned, they they made um, no or, or, or virtually no changes. So, they so didn't. they're yeah, so they're they're <laughs> they running didn't. strong on on with, with no new development. Um, I mean, as as you've mentioned a couple of times, one thing that's going to be really tough is um, we, we saw these cars on the softs, and and this track is going to be really hard on the tires. And as you mentioned, race pace and quality pace are two very different things. Uh, is there anything just in terms of the uh, specific to the upgrades that we either saw? In qualifying that might not translate tomorrow to the race or vice versa that they didn't get a chance to uh show in qualifying that we might see show show its face tomorrow during the race yeah so all the upgrades that i'm aware of are aerodynamic in nature even the ones that were seemingly mechanical and suspension upgrades they're actually like aerodynamic fairing around the suspension it's mostly aero i think uh there's a difference between maximum aerodynamic force in terms of downforce and then aerodynamic balance right so if you can get the maximum aerodynamic force, you know, downforce on your car through an upgrade, that can give you a lot of grip, but it could be unbalanced. And over the course of a race stint or a Grand Prix, that imbalance could actually cause one side of the, top of the one axle to wear more than the other. And that could actually require you to pit earlier than you might otherwise. So there are, if you look through the documents and, and see what the teams actually upgraded on their cars, they're kind of broken down into two into two things, you know, things that change the local load distribution, like adding downforce here or, or you know, putting it there. And then things that are called flow conditioners, something that you don't really care about the downforce that particular element makes, but it changes the airflow downstream in a beneficial way to the downstream components. So I would definitely, there's nothing that I saw that could really let me know which of those there are, if it was focused on peak downforce or on uh, aero balance. But yeah, I, I you know, I don't want to make a, a statement that's not evidence-based. And right now, I just don't have any information to see who would be better in race pace than qualifying pace. I know there's going to be some differences, but I, I don't want to give a false impression of what I think it's going to be. Now, in terms of the upgrades, I, I think this week and next weekend are really interesting for from an upgrade perspective, but also just in general for these new cars. This is a track this week where I believe 28 of the 31 winners have come from the front row uh next week in monaco you will probably be able if you play the drinking game drink every time they say the word processional uh next week you'll probably die by friday somewhere around no before uh, that before uh, friday fp2 uh just they, they started day early in monaco <laughs> historically but not not this year <laughs> not a, not a, not a track that is known for overtaking maybe the most uh fun race to look at from a just an aesthetically pleasing perspective but maybe not the most exciting race so just in terms of like the new car setup this year in general and the upgrades, like what do you expect the impact of that is going to be on this week and next week? And do you think that the upgrades are going to accelerate maybe some of the uh, chances for overtaking and more exciting races this week and next week, or is it going to be about par for the course? Yeah, so, so think back to what I said about the general philosophy of going back to ground effect cars and manipulating the wake behind the car. This is designed on improving the aerodynamic downforce of the car that's trailing. That really only helps you in high-speed corners, right? Barcelona has a ton of high-speed corners. Monaco, not so much, right? 
So if I was to expect a race that would benefit tremendously from the new philosophy for the car design, Barcelona would be it. I would expect there to be significantly more overtakes this year in Barcelona than we've seen in previous years, because in previous years, the cars were not explicitly designed to be able to have mutually beneficial aerodynamics and things like the current cars are. I think we're going to have a very lively race in Barcelona um, coming up tomorrow. And as far as Monaco goes, there is not a, the, even though you're going to have the highest downforce configuration of the entire year in Monaco because the speeds are so slow, there's not an overabundance of high speed corners. And so the very mechanism that the 2022 regulations are designed to sort of improve, you can't really take full advantage of because the corners are either too slow and they're mechanically they're mechanically dominated versus aerodynamically dominated, or there's just not enough space to overtake. <laughs> there's just not enough space to overtake. There's maybe you know one and a half, one and a half places you can overtake in Monaco, um, and that's a, is far more important than you know uh, the ability to eliminate high speed understeer. So I would say focus on the qualifying order in Monaco to be a very strong indicator of what the finishing order is going to be. And that's less of a factor in Barcelona because I expect the new regulations to really show their true potential uh, tomorrow. That yeah, that's exciting. Um, I, I mean, I've heard um, you know uh, longtime F1 fans and analysts say that tomorrow is um, the most boring track on the calendar. So if people are expecting that for for what we do for for gambling and, and, and fantasy sports, if it's if it's a really good week to go against a grain where everybody's just expecting to say stay the same as quality, um, that that's some really good information outside of the scope of everything we've talked about, Bryson. With the upgrades, is there is there anything that you're really looking forward to this week, or, or just any um, any general thoughts on on this weekend's race so i think this is the the ultimate test of aerodynamic theory right now now we get to find out how clever we really are you know i think we've already had plenty of evidence that the new regulations are working but if there was a scenario in which the regulations really aren't doing their job you're gonna see it you know tomorrow and as, as you said it's thought of as a, a generally boring race unless you have a very offset tire strategy with a huge grip differential and you can get some fun overtakes like we had last year but broadly speaking, yes, it has historically been a boring venue. And in fact, that's precisely what's motivating these regulation changes. So think of it as like a, a key and a keyhole type of thing. You know, the regulations were made specifically for uh, this particular track. I'm sure when they were doing their lap simulations, they were using this particular track. This is actually going to be a situation where you should expect to see big differences this year versus previous years. Now, for the average fan that doesn't know much about the technical aspects of motorsports, what are some resources to gain knowledge on things like basic aerodynamics and understanding of what some of these car upgrades actually mean? Yeah, so I, I think there, there's many ways to look at this. I think the best the best way is to watch videos uh, on YouTube. Uh, oftentimes, those videos are, are guilty of oversimplification, which happens all the time. Um, but those are a very good sort of one directional way to sort of learn things about uh, F1 technical things. But also Twitter. Twitter is remarkable. There, you know, the the bad parts of Twitter are extraordinarily bad, but the good parts about it are extraordinarily good. And you can have direct communication and contact with, you know, former engineers that used to work at Mercedes or Ferrari and current people that even even work for Formula One or, or, or technical journalists who really do the work, who are pouring over pictures, their you know, spy photography pictures every night to actually see what the team's developments are. You can talk to them directly uh, if they're available. We also set up a, a Discord server, an F1 technical Discord server. It's nothing fancy, but it's a good repository of information and you know expertise from us fans that usually can be helpful for people you know just getting their feet wet in the technical side of F1. 
how do people find that that Discord? I I will uh, I've put a tweet out yesterday about okay. it, but I will share the link with you, um, and you guys can share it as well. Again, yeah. it's just a it's just a a fun place to see, and oftentimes I get things there before I see them on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that we'll de- we'll definitely check that out. And as far as the um, the the F one Twitter space goes, I mean, anytime you you are you like you said are on Twitter, especially in a competitive sport, um, there's going to be s- some bad, but. Uh, Luckily for us, at least in terms of Twitter, the the betting and the daily fantasy space hasn't infiltrated F1 to the degree that uh, a sport like it has NFL. So if you're coming from an NFL background like myself and Dan, um, F1 Twitter is actually quite a breath uh, of fresh air. So uh, if you if you haven't got involved in F1 Twitter yet, uh, it's uh, at least relative to some of the other sports. I think it's uh, it's pretty awesome right now. Yeah, just one one final thing that might be a very good way to to learn in a, in a fluidic sense is take advantage of Twitter Spaces. You know, this live audio format that people have been using more and more. It's actually incredibly powerful as a way to sort of connect people. And oftentimes, it can be easier to sort of digest information or have organic thoughts in a live conversation than you know typing back and forth in however many characters that Twitter allows these days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, the, those spaces have been um, actually one thing that, that I need to get a little bit more involved in. Um, Bryson, you have given us a, a ton of valuable information for this race stuff that we never would come up with on our own. So uh, we really appreciate your time and, and your insight. Uh, where can the listeners find you? And are you working on anything right now that, that they might want to check out? Uh, Twitter is the best place. Uh, it's the place where I'm probably most active. Um, there may be a, a technical article that I write here and then, but it, I would post it on Twitter and any event sure. on, anyway. As far as things coming up, maybe you'll save me on Sky News again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Sky Sports, who knows yeah. again? I, actually, uh, there's a basically a 99% chance I'll actually be in Montreal uh, for the Canadian Grand Prix, and there'll be some things associated with that. But primarily, just you know, find me on Twitter at the Natural Paradigm. Awesome. Appreciate your time and uh, hope to talk to you soon, Bryson. Not a problem. All right. Uh, that Yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Uh, we will get into all of the good DFS stuff, but uh, that, I, I think that gave us a lot of insight um, into everything that we're going to try to be tackling this week. And to supplement everything Bryson just told us, make sure you are checking out Run the Sims. 444 has teamed up with Run the Sims for projection tools and content for both F1 and USFL DFS and betting. Go to runthesims.com and use the promo code 444 for 10% off USFL and F1 offerings or check out the link in the description. And as we get into our DFS strategy, everything that we do every week is going to be tied directly to Run the Sims projected, projected ownership, our optimal rates, how we're going to be figuring out exactly how much we want to use each driver, each captain, each constructor. Uh, Justin has done a really good job of updating those. They've been extremely precise. Um, we, we'd love to get them you know, on, on the show when we can. Um, sometimes it doesn't match up, but we've done a pretty good job here of, of kind of figuring out who is going to be more popular, who's going to be less popular. One thing that we've noticed, Dan, is that um, the field has been crazy overvalued. If if a teammate starts ahead of his teammate in 
quality um, or, or on the grid, like that guy's just going to be so much more heavily owned. So there is a, a lot of um, leverage opportunity there every single week. The big change that we saw last week in Miami was the inability to use the Max or Charles and captain with another one of them as driver and the Red Bull Ferrari combo and constructor. That made it really exciting. It was great to see that. Um, DraftKings reverted a little bit this week to where you can do it. There are a couple combos where you could jam in Max Charles and Red Bull or Ferrari with one of them as a captain, um, but the combos are very few and far between. So what we were talking about before this pod, and this is probably going to be the basis of our entire DFS analysis this week, is that is it even worth it to use those combos? Like they're going to be duped. We, we've seen three or four lineups duped a hundred times almost every week, except for last week. That number went down to only one lineup was duped over a hundred times. Now, these Max Charles Red Bull Ferrari combos are probably going to go back to being duped. Since there's only three or four combos you can make of them, they're probably going to be duped two, three hundred times. So, like, it's almost not even worth it. Unless you're playing a 50 50, it's almost not worth it to use them in any tournament format, right? Yeah, it's like what you said. I mean, there's just going to be so many other people that even if it is ends up being the nuts lineup, like, you're going to end up chopping first place with. 200 of your closest compadres. Yeah, we've seen practice. we've seen a lineup duped, I think, 426 times is the highest we've seen this year, and I think that could happen this week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't have the... It, it's fun getting logged out every time I want to move computers <laughs> and trying to look at it and just, like, trying to build on the fly the lineups that are possible. And honestly, like, you're looking up maybe one or two drivers drawing dead in those lineups, and it still might be the end up being the best lineup. If those two guys lead every lap of the race, then it might still be the best lineup. Yeah, I, I, there's just no, unless you're playing, I mean, I, I guess if you're playing, they have a, a $100 single man with only 66, it's actually $121 now, with only 66 entries. I mean, you could go in there and hope that only two or three people run that lineup, but I, I just don't think like the obvious chalk max charles and then i think it's basically the three cheapest guys and i, I think you might actually have to play teammates I, I i think like if you use red bull and, and max i think you actually end up forced into i think you forced into stroll and seb together which obviously makes no sense um no you because you can get because i think you can get joe in there okay okay yeah 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 i just i i i think i i just don't sure it could be the nuts but you're just you're getting no upside from that lineup and like if if you're playing the big grand prix the the 15 um the the 125k guarantee like what you're not playing to to get 100 you're not trying to turn your 15 dollars into 120 bucks it's like you're not losing any upside by by not playing that lineup so i i, I think um yeah if, if you're playing 150 lineups sure roll out the three combos of those and like you're just because you, you can't chop first if you're someone that's only playing three lineups, you're playing a single entry or a three max or even a 20 max. I just don't see any point in, in using it, but um, let's, let's move on. I've loved this format where we've kind of just been going through the teams and looking at the teammates um, <clears throat> going alphabetical order just to make it easy. And we're going to start off with a really interesting one because Alpine has been a team that has been right around the, the, we will call it, I guess the fringe points right around that, that um, 10th place kind of every week, both Ocon and Alonzo um, Alonzo, uh, really, really rough quality coming in 17th. Ocon right around where you expect him. Uh, 12, 6,600 for Ocon, 6,000 for Alonzo. <clears throat> so on the surface, Ocon starting so far ahead. He's pretty much had better pace this year than Alonzo. But Alpine's not a bad car. So do you think maybe even though Alonzo is the worst value in terms of his salary versus where he's starting the grid, 
Is he the driver with the most move up the grid upside this week? Uh, let me just kind of look through these order this order once again. Yeah, I mean, it, it, probably right. Like he's he's sixty he's six hundred and sixty dollars cheaper than Ocon. Now we've talked about how generally speaking, uh, it's hard for a teammate who starts so far behind their teammate to pass them and beat them in the head to head for those five points. But it's Fernando Alonso and his home GP. He's seventeenth, so the like if he falls, he's he, he can't fall. Uh, I mean, I guess technically he can fall three spots. Yeah, but, but that's one point. What's the yeah. likelihood of, unless he wrecks, what's the likelihood he's going to finish behind like Latifi? <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. not very high. So, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who probably has like 10th place upside, maybe 9th place upside. And are they going to try to do, and that's like another thing that we, like an overarching thing that we haven't talked a ton about. And it's kind of hard to know until right before the race. And usually by then most of the leagues are full, but like who who's going to try to start on hard tires and hope that they can get a ton of laps and hope that maybe there's some weird safety car stuff like we've seen uh, George Russell do, like we've seen Albon do. But yeah, I mean, to me, there is some pretty good upside value with him starting 17th, but at $6,000, you kind of need everything to go right to play him. Yeah. I, I mean, like, like we said, the, the, the thing that <clears throat> we'll talk about this when we get into kind of the, our, our expected ownership and how we're going to maneuver through this. But I mean, Alonzo's just going to be, um, He's this combo we've talked about, the cheaper teammate that's less popular. And, and I just really love, I love attacking that. It's, it's just, um, and, and the gap's probably going to be pretty wide for, because if you're not using Max and Charles together, you're going to have quite a few builds where you are using two mid-salary guys. So I think Ocon's going to be just going to naturally fall into a lot of those lineups. Like I said, we've just seen overwhelming number of, ownership percentages on the team bet that's starting ahead except for austin martin williams because they're always so cheap people are just kind of mixing them all together but um for these midfield teams i think it's a really good um leverage spot i mentioned austin martin it, it's going to be the same conversation every week with austin martin and and williams unless we see one of them start like have a crazy good qualifying then we have a discussion this is pretty much what we've seen with Austin Martin all year. Stroll at 3,600, Vettel at 3,400. Vettel starting two spots ahead at 16th versus Stroll's um, 18th uh, finish in qualifying. So with Stroll, I mean, with Vettel being $200 cheaper, he'll be more popular than Stroll. I think I'm probably going to take the same approach I always do. If we think it's going to be, say, 40 or 35 to 25 Vettel, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Stroll, I'll probably flip that in my lineups and go, 35 25 in favor of Vettel any thoughts on Austin Martin besides just what we've been doing every week I'm, I'm gonna try I'm gonna workshop this and try to come up with a term for it but it's like you, you have to pay um a, a failure tax but it's not exactly the right word that I'm looking <laughs> no, for no, I, I think I know what you're if going you're for. building a lineup with one guy you've got to build some lineups with the other guy like you have to play both of them you can't be overly you can't just say I'm gonna play stroll and instead of Vettel like the, the, the money makes it to a point where and they're starting so close in their in the grid where you have to play both of them i think the numbers probably need to be closer close ish but like you said with vettel being cheaper and in a better starting position and frankly of being a better driver like you should play like he's going to be featured in more lineups so the contrarian angle is stroll but i think yeah i mean you have to you can't just kind of like write off one guy and say oh i'm going to go 70 percent one guy 30 like you have to play them in an almost an even number just because it's just such a toss-up and at the price you kind of have to yeah kind of yeah. to, to take your medicine there 
and unlike Williams, even though they, they've we've kind of been using them the same, like Stroll and Vettel, there isn't a clear top driver right now. They've kind of been ping-ponging. The only time we're going to have a different conversation with um, Austin Martin or Williams, assuming kind of everything we've seen to this point stays the same, is like last race in Miami when not only were Max and Charles' salary so high that you couldn't roster them together with one of them as a captain, but we also saw Albon and Stroll have really good qualifying. Stroll ended up starting in the pit, so it didn't matter. But if we do get one of these cheap teams and they start like P10 and you can't jam in Max and Charles together, then there is like a conversation where maybe you can use Stroll starting P10 as captain just because the, the salaries were really weird last week. That isn't in play this week just because it, it's it, that's not they, they didn't qualify good enough and um and, and the salary still lets you do a jam higher price guys um than last week but uh but but I think that's the same convo every week. Alfa Romeo is probably the most interesting teammate battle because they are it's the it's such a wide gap between these two guys right now in salary and in qualifying. This is the I, this might be the biggest teammate salary gap we've seen all year. Botas starting seventh all the way up at seventy six hundred. Uh, Joe starting fifteenth all the way down at thirty two hundred. I mean, Botas is going to fit into a lot of lineups be, again because you're not going to be able to jam Max and Charles together. So Botas is going to slide in really nicely. Joe, I mean, what you're if you play him, it's for salary relief, and you you hope Botas doesn't finish. I don't think this is a high incident track. I, I know Bryson said like it might be more exciting, but the chances of incidents is probably lower, which is like the most likely way Botas doesn't finish ahead of Joe, or he just fits into the Charles Max jam lineup. Like those are the only two ways, right? Yeah, and then that's kind of where it is with with Joe. It's you you feel like you're drawing dead unless Botas's car blows up again, which I mean they did on Friday, but like. He didn't have a problem there. I will say, like, Joe did get into the top 10 in Q1 today, so there is some pace in that car, but is he going to be able to consistently outrace Botas? Like, probably not. And if you're not – if he – in at 15th, getting into the points is going to be tough. So you're looking at, like, a one point for being a classified driver ceiling, which, you know, maybe that helps you out if you get all of the laps led and the fastest lap and you were able to, to get Max and Charles together – uh, but yeah, I mean, otherwise he's just such a value play at that price. Botas, I'm not really sure where he's going to fit into the equation this week in terms of lineups that have a really good chance to win. I'm going to have to do a little bit more digging there. Uh, but that's kind of, yeah, I'm kind of with you there. It's just, it's a fascinating teammate battle and like eventually, eventually Joe's going to beat him head to head, but you just can't like bank on it in any particular week. Yeah, I, I think the best time to use Joe is going to be in on the tracks where you, where you have a high incident rate <clears throat> because that, that that's when things just go crazy. Um, I, I think last week I, I, I didn't play 150. I think I played 100 lineups. I think I had Joe in four. So like that kind of gives you an idea of <clears throat> if you're playing for chaos, like you're still not doing it at, at like a crazy high rate. You're not going to play half of your lineups like you would with, with Stroll and Vettel. Um, so, I mean, if you're playing 20 lineups, like maybe use Joe in, in one lineup. I, I think that's the most you need to use him. Um, a team that I, I cannot figure out for the life of me is AlphaTauri. Like we going into the season, I mean, Gasly's been a, a, a really good driver. I, I'd say a very above average driver. Yuki was a rookie this last year. Um, it seems like Yuki is figuring some stuff out. Uh, he qualified ahead of Gasly uh, today at 13th. Gasly's 14th, but Yuki's 4,600. Gasly's 5,600. We could end up seeing a 
pretty big ownership gap with Sonoda starting ahead and being a thousand dollars cheaper, even though Gasly has a name value. Um, I mean, are, are are we just flipping a coin on these guys right now, or are we just saying we just got to take the forty six hundred on on Sonoda, and if if something happens, we'll just eat it with Gasly? Yeah, I mean that's kind of where you are. Like Sonoda, the the thousand dollars from like the building that I've done so far does make a difference. It like it, it goes a long way. I have some lineups. I was like. I have a Verstappen, Russell, Sonoda, Albon, Vettel, Ferrari, uh, and some uh, and Leclerc. I mean, it's the same thing. So, like that 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 difference does give you, it does allow you to fit a Verstappen, Russell, and Sonoda. And you know, you're both you're looking at two drivers who do have potential. They're starting close-ish to the top ten. So if there's something that happens there, but like it's a head-to-head one one spot right, well one spot difference in the grid flip a coin as to who's going to race better flip a coin as to whose car is going to blow up because they're in the red bull powered car. Like <laughs> yeah. I love both drivers and it is practically impossible to ever figure out. Like you said, who's going to do what in any given week. I, I like them. I think they have upside potentially just, but, and it's just hard to predict. Yeah. This will probably be by my, my, where I lean the most heaviest on, on run the Sims. Like, and sometimes we just have, have to do that, especially, I mean, this sport is still, you know really new we're still only six six races into a brand new dfs sport we've never seen before so i i think it's it's okay just to trust the computer probably smarter to trust the computer more often than not um this is probably my biggest flip from pre bryson conversation to post price conversation i was thinking that haas had a great qualifying i mean we we see it a lot with like we we've seen if not I don't, haas definitely isn't a bad team they, they've they've had a pretty good year all things considered but these teams that are are iffy when they qualify good, they're often good good teams to fade. Bryce is telling us he thinks they could hold on to this. I mean, Magnuson's at fifty two hundred, uh, starting P eight. Schumacher forty two hundred starting P ten. I think because Magnuson has been so much better with this thousand dollar difference. I I don't think it'll be. You, you mentioned with Gasly and Sonoda that thousand dollar difference goes a long way. I have a feeling the field is going to lean heavier on Magnuson, so it makes me think Schumacher might be um, might be a, a really interesting contrarian play. But the I, the issue with Haas is the cool thing about Magnuson or Schumacher has been they've had that move up in the great equity, and when you could get that at that sub six k salary, that that's really exciting. I mean, you're 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 playing for beat the teammate, which is a coin flip right now, I, I think, and and. I guess you get a couple points for for finishing the top ten. They they are our best salary versus grid values. I thought they had more downside than upside, but Bryson got me double. Uh, you know, second guessing myself. I I don't, I don't know. I can't speak to any of the technical stuff about whether or not they have a chance to survive it this week. But I kind of look at it in a certain way where I kind of think tiers in my head of like, okay, Max and Charles. If I'm playing them, they're in a certain tier, and then the the gas the the Landos and the Russells and the guys who are in that salary. So I look more comparatively salary wise, and like Schumacher starting tenth hypothetically has a ton more value to me than someone with like a than like a Yuki Tsunoda because he's three spots ahead of him. And I do think that if he can get like if you talk think about a ceiling in that perspective of five points for beating Magnuson, how many ever points for finishing like eighth? That's great. But you're also counting on a guy who just had his best ever qualifying result. Like I think it was the first time they got both drivers into Q3 since 2019. And he has struggled throughout his career so far to put together good races from start to finish. So I'm going to play him in a couple of spots because I do think at 4,200, 
his upside there of compared to some of the other guys in the, the between like let's say 4600 and below is a lot higher but yeah if there's a way i can work magnuson in there just because he's been way more consistent this year i will it's about tinkering with and trying to figure out how the salaries exactly work but uh, I think they're both playable if you can make it work because even though there's potential for them to fall, I think maybe we have overthought that a little bit at times. Now, they're not – I don't think they're both going to stay in that spot, but I think they both are worth trying to figure out. Like, basically, long story short, if the salary works and there's in a driver starting in the top 10, try to find a way to make it work with them because if it's under 6000 and they start in the top 10, you've got a pretty good shot of, of maybe getting a little bit more uh, value out of them than someone who's not – yeah, and and like if if like Stroll when he fit when he uh, he qualified P ten last week I think um, that has a lot of downside because we've just seen Austin Martin be a car that just hasn't been great. Where Haas they've they've shown pace at, at times, so I, I think probably you just take the value on them. If if ownership comes out and they are neck and neck, Schu- Schumacher and Magnussen, or Magnussen is more popular, then I think we're going to slam Schumacher. Um, if it comes out vice versa, then I think it's probably more balanced because of the salary. But if we get it where it's close and you get that that four hundred forty two um that that's a really good spot i think this is going to be my favorite spot of the week to leverage lando 8200 starting 11th is people are i think people are just going to look at that see ricardo starting ahead for 1200 less and be like um you have to if you're playing a mclaren driver you have to play uh ricardo and, and i think that is where even if you don't know a lot about F1, um, like the technical terms, like Bryson does, this is just where understanding what's going on can give you a really huge advantage because Lando, as we mentioned, he uh, he had a rough um, free practice too. He gets his Q2 time uh, disqualified, makes him start at 11th, but this car obviously has pace. He is in Q3 if he doesn't get that uh, deleted. And he's been the better driver than Ricardo. So not only do I think are you going to get like a really good shot at getting the plus five uh, for beating Ricardo, even though he's starting behind him, you don't want just that with 8,200. When McLaren's been good, they've been really good. We've seen Lando get a podium. So I think he's like our, what George Russell has been to us all year, starting back at that 8,000 range and, and moving up. He's the guy that I think, you know, he has a shot to finish fourth or fifth and, and at like, 10% ownership. Yeah, I think his ceiling is his best case scenario is probably sixth, but that still gets you three three points for a plus five grid improvement. Uh yeah, I, I'm with you. Like ignore the fact that his lap got deleted. He was first off, like Bryson said, if you watched, it was like about that. Uh, like how far off the track. He violated the track limits. If you didn't follow it, he went too far off the track and had his track time wiped out. It was faster than Ricardo. He's got a faster car than Ricardo. He's been faster than Ricardo all year. Like I definitely agree with you that I feel like, okay, we're talking like a fifth place finish plus the five points for beating a teammate plus three points for grid improvement. Like there's a a lot of upside there. Whereas I just, I don't necessarily see it with Ricardo. I think Ricardo is probably one of the like least valuable guys that you can play this week. Yeah, I I agree with that hundred percent. I'm going to be smashing Lando in in a lot of lineups. He's going to be a really good contrarian play. Um, Mercedes, they've, been tough this year especially hamilton because hamilton's just been in this no man's land where he's priced above nine thousand dollars still so he just he at 9200 you need a win right so where and russell has been he's his salary's really been fluctuating like if we take out the the first week where we just didn't know what to expect somewhere in the 7500 all now up to 8800 range the the benefit for Russell is he hasn't had crazy good qualifying. So he has had a lot of moving up the grid upside. Now that they qualify good, 
you're losing a lot of that. So Russell's been the DFS MVP. Shout out to the name of the podcast, no pun intended, of the year. But it's because he's been able to move up the grid so much. Like, so if you're playing Hamilton Russell right now, it's like, do they have win equity? I, I don't I don't know, man. It seems like a tough one for me. I'll probably have a couple Hamilton Russell lineups with the Mercedes um, uh, constructor stacks just because you, you have to build like random stuff because uh, crazy stuff happens in any sport and in DFS. But it's going to be a very small percentage. If, if I'm rolling out 100 lineups, it's probably only going to be four or five. Um, but I mean, these guys are kind of in a no man's land, don't, don't you think? Perhaps, but perhaps not. First and foremost, DraftKings, if you're watching this, and I know you are, um, you have to you have to start if you really want to make if you want to make this accurate, you have to start swapping the salary on Russell and Hamilton. Like he's been the better driver all year. My thing is at 8,800 compared to Carlos Sainz, like the only drivers who on the grid who I think have have better value in the that top tier in terms of like their expectation level are Max and Charles. I don't think Carlos signs. I don't think Sergio Perez have more value than George Russell. So if you're looking for like who the best potential number two driver in your lineup can be, I still think George Russell provides that because he's, he's going to allow you more uh, salary flexibility down the board than those other guys. Will. I'm, you're totally right. Like he's not, he can't get a plus. He can't go up five spots. He's in fourth place. Like Lewis Hamilton, though, Lewis Hamilton's sixth to get that extra, like that extra benefit from moving up, he'd have to finish first. He's not going to finish first. So I'm pretty confident that George Russell's going to get the points for finishing fourth or third again. I'm pretty confident he's going to beat Hamilton again. Like, I still think he's got more value than a Signs or a Perez in particular. And that's why I think he's ultimately still very playable at the salary that he's at compared to some of the other guys that you're probably going to be balancing your lineups with. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, because you can't stack Max and Charles a lot unless you're using them as drivers, I think Russell probably fits in a lot. Hamilton, I, I think you... you we can make it as simplistic as if you're going to play a nine K driver for whatever reason, if that's just how your salaries work out and you want to like just play Sergio. Cause at least he's in a Red Bull, right? If you're, if you're just, if you're just going to play a, a, a $9,000, I don't think they're either of them are playable. Yeah. I don't, I don't okay, like them, fair. but, but I'm, I'm saying, but I'm just saying if you're going to, there's only two guys in the nine K range, right? So if for yeah. some reason you're going to play one, why wouldn't you play the guy in the Red Bull car? I, I would, I would actually disagree. I think I would play the, the way that that car has shown pace and the fact that, Checo has not really had a good week and doesn't really seem to be comfortable in that car this week. I actually probably lean Hamilton. I would play Hamilton over Checo if I had to play one of them, but I'm not playing either guy. Right. Like I'm, I'm not, not playing yeah, enough exactly. lineups, yeah, yeah. lineups to vary it up enough where I'm going to have to like force myself into a situation of playing one of those guys. And if like Checo Perez ends up in second place, whatever, like cool. Like I, I, I love like he's Checo was fifth, right. in qualifying. Uh, yeah, between, yeah, finished, between yeah, the two of yeah, them, like George Russell finished ahead. Yeah, like I, I just I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm, I'm both guys are like I said. Ricardo was one of the most unplayable guys. Like he's probably third behind. Checo. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's fair. Um, one thing that we I guess kind of DraftKings got right is they bumped up Albon's salary. He's been cl clearly ahead of Latif. We've seen them like hovering around Latifi's stone minimum every week that's just it is what it is um we've seen albon hovering around at 3200 3400 they pop him up to four thousand dollars this week um so he is priced way more latifi but he's still just the obvious 
play on on, on the cheap salary besides the Austin Martin. Um, as long as you aren't playing Charles and Max together, you should be able to fit Albon quite comfortably. Um, he's going to be crazy popular, uh, but he just makes a lot of sense. He probably still has some move up the grid upside albon does because we've seen them gamble with albon we've seen albon show good pace so we obviously know that that's there we're gonna play latifi some because he's as long as he's the men's salary it just you're, you're if you're playing a lot of lineups you're just gonna need that three thousand dollars he has no downside he's not gonna get you negative points and we've seen lineups do well with latifi with a zero so you're playing him for the upside of the you're not playing him to beat albon you're playing him to fit in more expensive guys so like i mean the, the only reason we're playing latifi is for salary relief right Nicholas Latifi, if you're watching this show, and I know you are, this, if you're ever going to beat Albon, like, dude, you're 20th, he's 19th, he's one spot ahead of you. If you're ever going to get a head-to-head win this year, like, this has got to be it, right? Like, you keep you play Latifi because he fits in lineups, and eventually one time he's going to get you six points. Well, he might not get you six points. He might get you five. There, one time he'll at least get you five. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna. Like, yeah, he may he's not gonna, classify, but yeah, he's, he's gonna, gonna finish it. One yeah. or two races where Nicholas Latifi is gonna get you five points, and it's gonna help you win in a lineup. And you've got to play him, and it sucks. And he got beaten free practice one by a rookie who had never driven in a Formula One car before. But like, yeah, you've got to play him. I, I like Albon as a play almost every week, just because you know he's gonna be pretty consistent and he's cheap. So. Yeah, I mean, it's the same conversation we have every week with Williams, and I'm just tired of Nicholas, having to talk about Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, I mean, the, the only difference is, like, the, the bit for the first, I think, maybe three races, it was just, like, kind of throw out equal shares of both Williams and Alfa, Alfa, um, sorry, um, Austin Martin drivers. Now it's just, like, we're gonna just going to have way, even if Albon's popular, we're just, that's the player we're eating the chalk on every week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, we don't have the official Run the Sims ownership projections yet, but make sure you go to Run the Sims when they do come out. They're usually updated uh, pretty close to when the show's over. Um, but, I mean, we, we have a pretty good idea of how things are going to play out with uh, Charles and Max locking out the front and with you being able to afford them quite comfortably, except for when, when one of them's the captain there in the same lineup. They are going to dominate um, the captain. Red Bull and Ferrari are going to dominate Constructor. The biggest takeaway that I had from last week, which I butchered because I just didn't expect it to be this big of a gap, was that when Leclerc was on pole last week, he ended up in three and a half times as many lineups as the captain than Max. I did not think the gap was going to be that wide. Max only in 14%. Charles was in 44% as the captain. I don't know if that merges this week, even though Charles gets the pole Maybe I think a lot of there's been enough talk over the last two weeks that Red Bull's just the better car. If Run the Sins comes out and we have it as uh, Leclerc in in forty percent and Max in twenty percent, I'm gonna be way overweight on, on Max. Um, I still think I probably just favor Max because Red Bull's just been crushing when when they're if they stay on the track they're winning. So I mean basically the the driver captain question every week is is max or charles have you changed your your view on these two guys since uh miami no and i'm really hoping it's the same thing that happened two weeks ago where and we'll get to it with the, with the betting odds how that has that changed but i i'm assuming the dfs is going to be a little slow to it and i think you're going to see a lot of people backing charles leclerc just because he got the poll this week yeah i agree I, but man like yeah it's those two guys again if you're looking for something kind of crazy you know maybe it's a, again like george russell to me is always going to be like the chaos guy that you're going to want and 
if you're doing a ton of lineups, maybe you sprinkle him in. I know. I, you know what? I would say. Have, yeah, I would say even if you're only playing a three max, I, I think there's a really strong case for using one of those lineups as a George Captain Mercedes constructor just because. Yeah, I have one of those lineups. Yeah, this yeah, I, I think because you're just going to you're, you're going to if the feel if 60 percent to 65 percent of the field is using the Charles Max Red Bull Ferrari Captain combos like you just get so much leverage just by using George and Mercedes, right? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, we already talked about Haas a lot. Bryson basically flipped my complete. I'm, 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 I'm right. Hashtag right. I'm hashtag right with Bryson. But the, the crazy thing that we saw last week, and this is going to translate a little bit more. Like I thought for sure with, uh, it not being possible to jam Max and Charles last week that we would see some really high ownership on these like 7,500 to nine K range guys, just because it was hard to like, if you're going to use your salary, that's how you're going to do it. We didn't see it with that. Even with all those bounce builds, I thought we were going to see last week. We Gasly was the only driver in the eight to nine K range. That was over 30%. The other guys in the mid salary range were still sub 25%. So now with ownership i'm not not ownership with salary getting dialed back down a little bit for the ceiling i think even less people are going to be rostering the mclaren um the mclaren salary guys less on russell so i think there is a ton of of advantage this week to like my guys are going to be russell and 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 lando but building with those is just going to kind of flip the salary on its head don't you think yeah i think that's fair i mean you couldn't build it, so you had to be a little bit more creative. But I think most people who play DFS are going to be leaning a little bit on the lazier side, other than the people who do this. Especially, especially since, especially since tomorrow is a well. I guess it's not that bad for East Coast, starting at nine a.m. But it's an earlier race than than we've typically had this year, so that could play into people not being as creative, right? For sure, and I think that's part of it. But I also just think like, oh, I can play Max and Charles, and maybe there'll be enough aversion because of you know. The thing that I think the thing that I might find interesting is being able to get Sebastian Vettel in a lineup with those two guys. I think people will be like, "Oh, well, he's a good driver historically, and look where he's starting yeah, in his salary." Yeah. Like that, yep. that's going to get people to to try sure. to make those lineups work, and that's going to give you some value elsewhere. And there's a very real possibility that this just ends Max Charles one and two in some order. They lead all of the laps. It's duped. It's chopped five hundred ways, like we talked about earlier, and we move on with our lives. To we move on, we're on to Monaco. And I would say you carry we carry over some Miami strategy in that I, I think there is a lot of value in some um, because there are only a couple of combos of Max Charles with one of them as captain. I think there is a lot of value in using driver driver Max Charles and just an alternate cap. Those George lineups, well George probably won't work, but like maybe a um, maybe a Botas captain lineup, you're able to jam Charles and, and and Max's drivers, and you could still get a ton of upside if you use Red Bull Ferrari as your if if you don't stack your captain and constructor. Um, and to that point last week, because salaries were so strict, it was, I, I, it just made a ton of sense to not stack captain and constructor as much as we have been. Now the, the best lineup still ends up being max and Red Bull, but we did see a lot of 1% lineups, not stack constructor. I think it was a really sharp move to not stack captain constructor as much. So I was down to about 35, 30% of my lineups using no cap, um, using captain constructor. I think I'll be back to about 50, 50 this week. Yeah, I think that's, but see, that's something that, and it's going to kind of, when we talk about other unique strategies, that's something that I was thinking about today, looking at some of these numbers, like has a, has a lineup one that didn't stack captain and constructor? Has there been a nuts lineup this year? Um, 
was there the there was one? a mercedes there was a mercedes constructor yeah yeah, yeah, it, was yeah. The, it was the one where uh but it was the one where leclerc almost where ferrari almost ended up number one constructor because yep because charles led everything dominated yeah. that was the week that he, he won the grand slam uh i think there's a possibility where we could see that again this week where you could play a i think it's a verstappen ferrari setup where uh, yeah yep where because I'm not as high on Checo Perez this week, I, he just like I said earlier hasn't been so hasn't just been great on track. And it, there's a scenario where if Verstappen, if it's Verstappen, Leclerc signs in that order, where it ends up where Ferrari still ends up with slightly more points than Red Bull does. And now if if you know if uh, if it ends you're up saying that way, you're saying even goes, if you're saying even if Max wins, Ferrari could still get more points. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. I agree. In second and third, it's a possibility. I don't know how likely it is. I'm going to play one just because it's like a fun little twist on on a lineup. But it it would basically come down to laps led, fastest lap, that kind of thing. Where if like say he and Charles split laps led, which is possible with Charles leading it, and Charles gets the fastest lap, Ferrari's going to end up with more points under a lot of situations there. And and if you know if Checo has a bad day, then it's easily easy peasy and it's done. And that's what happened in. In there but like that was kind of the first time where i i could couldn't really see the mercedes things at the mercedes things in australia is that where it was where i think it was i've completely lost yes yeah yeah it was australia yeah 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 it was australia it's australia then mlo which was max and then max yeah yeah in australia like couldn't see that coming this one it's just like maybe because i think as a team i think ferrari's a little bit stronger even if i think max probably is a driver that is going to win the race yeah, and, and to I mean, to your point about um, it's exactly what I was going to say. the The reason that a driver can carry their constructor to be the best team, even if their teammate doesn't do well, they basically have to uh, monopolize laps led. They have to get all of them pretty much. And, and this is this kind of sets up with Charles uh, starting first, where that probably doesn't happen. I agree with you. Where I, I think Max probably still wins, but as Bryson was saying, um, there aren't a lot of um, uh, long straights on this track, and actually sets up for a Ferrari for Ferrari's setup. So I, I don't think that necessarily means that Max automatically wins, but I think it gives a lot more credence to like a uh, a Max um, Max in first with Charles and Signs being both being on the podium as well. Like a, a two three finish for Ferrari makes a lot of sense this week. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think we might see a rainbow podium this week as well. Yeah, I think, definitely. I think the secondary drivers for Ferrari and Red Bull are vulnerable this week to the Mercedes right. cars. Yeah, and I think we sure. could see a scenario where one of the two Mercedes ends up on the podium, which would make for a bit of a fun little twist on how things have gone so far this year. Yeah, I, I think if if I looked at it correctly, I, I just glanced at it. I think you had a, a did you have a double driver stack you liked um, earlier in the week when you were messing with lineups? Yeah, I don't remember what it ended up being, and I don't think I liked it as much anymore. But I think it was something along the lines of Mercedes. It was George, Mercedes, and then the two Ferrari drivers. So probably George. I don't remember, but that was what it was at one point, and like, I don't know. I, I can go back and revisit it, and I have no idea. I, I would just say uh, my my only point would be that when when we aren't able to jam Max and Charles as much or, or not, not at all, which I I'm still kind of playing this. Like you can't do it just because as we mentioned, like those three or four combos are going to be duped like crazy. 
I, I do think there is some credence to the double driver stack, which we just haven't seen it hit yet. But I mean, it's it's kind of the same idea as the not stacked in the captain structure. Just because it hasn't hit yet, it's still going to give you a level unique to set. If it does hit, you have a chance to like win without a chop or win with a very minimal chop. So you you need a perfect run out. But um, I, I wouldn't discount the double driver stack. Uh, anything else you're you're thinking about just in terms of how you're approaching this race? Not or really. Or this, DF, this DFS slate. I mean. Not really. We talked about this, the ultimate stud and dud lineup of with, with Max and Charles in it a lot, but like, it's going to be duped a million times. So it's like, it's kind of a bit of a whatever to me, uh, but nothing else really that it stands out to me. Is there anything else that stands out to you in this? And when it comes to what your setups are going to be this week? No, I, I think um, the, the, like I said, the big things are going to be um, mixing in some, some Lando and, and George, maybe even the captain positions, having Mercedes as some constructor, like I, I'm still going to, you know, you're still going to use Max and Charles a ton, but um, th there's definitely some creativity that we've talked about that, that I definitely think we're going to want to lean into. And I, I would definitely just go back and, and listen to that bryson um insight because i think there's just a lot of really good stuff and how we think the race is going to play out that we could translate um directly to uh dfs let's move on to uh this was betting we've added so, some pick them to uh to our chats because one underdog added f1 a couple weeks ago and we had a pretty good week there last week uh price picks has also added some formula one to their platform i haven't played price picks yet but i have been going hard on underdog a couple of things we added to four for four this week were specific discord channels for underdog and price picks pick them so when we started recording this underdog hadn't loaded i i don't think they've loaded all of their um their props yet uh because they only had three rivals in there They're, they'll probably have a lot more matchups to bet on but from what they have listed now, and I will post this on Discord for sure, um, just to remind you guys, right now they have Lando finishing under 9.5 position. Um, I, I mentioned I liked him starting in 11th. That show that car showed a lot of pace, so I, I think he could finish ahead of 9th. Um, I had Schumacher over 11.5. I might scrap that one again just because uh, Bryson, Bryson um, I think, convinced me. But Latifi over 18.5. I mean free money. I, it, there, this isn't a high incident track. Latifi's finishing. Like he's finishing over 18 and a half. Um, signs under 0.5 laps led. Like that's a crazy that that exists. Like he's not going to lead a lap. No. So it was signs, the Hamilton one from the last time. Ex exactly. And then if more rivals come out, um, I, I will post those in the discord, but Lando under nine and a half, Latifi over 18 and a half signs under 0.5 laps led, uh, smash those on underdog. Uh, how's gambling markets looking? They're, they're slow to come out. Uh, I'm looking right now at some of the prize pick stuff, and there's nothing that really stands out. I mean, maybe Ricardo under one and a half points scored. I'd have to do a little bit more digging uh, into it. And they also have pit stop time, which, good luck, I have no clue what to do there. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I saw there is they had, like, they have long odds on Ferrari pit stop time, and I don't even have any pit stop data, but it just seems like if you're getting long odds on Ferrari or Red Bull at all, like, just bet it, right? Like, why not? Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, so from a betting perspective, some stuff's coming out. Bovada just listed a ton of race prop kind of things, and then they just canceled them. So I wonder what I literally just refreshed it and went away. Markets are still opening up. The one thing that I have for sure bet this week, and I, I think this is a, I think that Max Verstappen's going to end up winning this race. However, I think it's a coin flip and I got Charles Leclerc to win the race at plus 145 at FanDuel. It's even longer at other books to shop around and find the best price for it. Again, I don't think he's going to win, but it's a coin flip. I think it should probably be like 115, 120, and not 140, so I bet it. I think what happened 
was there were some very smart people in the betting space in Miami who jammed Verstappen when he was like almost, he was plus 195 yeah. to win that race. Yeah. And I think the books are a little worried that the same thing's going to happen again, where even though Leclerc got won the poll, he ends up, he's not going to win the race. So I think they're trying to, to limit some of the damage there, but I think that they might've gone a little bit overboard on the price. So I still think Verstappen's going to win. I think if you can get Verstappen at plus money, and I think I saw him at like plus 100 in a couple of places, I probably would bet that over betting the Leclerc. But at the same time, like Leclerc at plus 140, 145, 150, like whatever you can get it at, bet that. Like I think that's it's just the value on it is too good to be to pass up. Again, remember a lot of the times you're not betting whether or not you necessarily think something's going to happen. You're just trying to assess value. And I think there's value there. And then these are a couple of other bets that I put. I don't even know if you looked at the bets that I put in the the the, uh, the our outline, but these are things that I bet already this week. Uh, the French Open starts this week, and if you're unfamiliar, on the women's side, Iga Swiatek is the destroyer of worlds right now in women's tennis. She's won 27 matches in a row. I think she hasn't dropped a set since like March. She's been absolutely insane. So one of my buddies, shout out to Noops who is uh, one of our hosts of Brown Bag Bets on Betsperts, who's a, a big-time women's tennis handicapper. I said, how do I bet her in the, front, in the French Open? He said, parlay her with all of your bets this week. And so that got me thinking to just do something stupid. So that's what I did this week. And I have – and the, the ties to Formula One because I have two different parlays. It's, uh, they both involve Iga Sviantec to win the French Open. They both involve Max Verstappen to win the Drivers' Championship. Not this week. I think that you, if you want to bet him to win this week and parlay that with Iga, with Iga, go ahead. But I, I just think there's less variance over the course of the season, and I think over the course of the season he will be a much better driver than Leclerc and win the title again. And then I have Alabama to win the national championship in college football, and then Ohio State to win the national championship in college football. And my other two parlays: the Alabama one plus nine hundred, the Ohio State one plus seventeen thirty-three. I think Alabama is going to win the national championship. I think Ohio State's the only other team that could really challenge them for that this year. So I figured, what the hell? Why not we'll throw some money there and see what happens? And it's all dead in two weeks if Iga doesn't win. And if she does, we have fun sweats developed for the rest of the year. And I think Max is going to win the Drivers' Championship. So I feel pretty confident there. I think we could safely say we are the only pod in the history of the world to start with an aerospace engineer and end with the Iga Sviantec take. So I think Let's that go. is a great place to wrap it up uh went a little long this week but it was well worth it with what we got from bryson that was awesome and i think uh it's gonna translate into a very very profitable week for us we will be back next week with the monaco preview we got back-to-back -back racing week so um we get to fire it up almost as soon as it's over this is what is this is really exciting so back-to-back -back weeks let's go uh we'll be back uh in exactly seven days as always we are presented by run the sims go to run the sims.com and use the promo code 444 to get 10 percent off of usfl and f1 projections tools and content for both dfs and betting or you can click on the link in the description and if you're down there make sure you click on the link on the underdog promo i talked about all of the really good pick em action that underdog has on formula one they have it for every other sport that you could think of as well as the best best ball tournament in the the world 10 million dollar prize pool i've been going hard on best ball mania 3 with both content and drafting if you deposit at least 10 dollars on underdog fantasy use the promo code 4 for 4 you'll get a free 
four for four pro subscription and you'll also get a deposit bonus match up to $100 you must be a new underdog user as I mentioned see the link for that in the description and get in our discord to talk about our underdog picks up to the very last minute uh, make sure you're checking out Betsports Golf. You can get access to the Betsports Bundle available on Dynasty League Football. That's access to 4 for 4, Dynasty League Football, Fantasy Life app, and Betsports for just $99. That's $209 value. Please, if you are watching, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening, please give us a five-star rating and review whatever platform you are listening on. And make sure you are following all of us. 4 for 4 is at 4 for 4 Football. All the important Betsperts golf stuff is at Betsperts Golf. Dan, is that really Dan Weiner? Run the Sims at Run the Sims. Don't forget about Bryson at Natural Paradigm. I'm TJ at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys next week.